0: Isaiah 14, 24 through 27. Sorry, I got a mask mess, messes up my beard, you know. And would you stand as I read just a few verses here? Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord of armies has Sworn. As I have purposed, so it will be. As I have planned it, so it will happen. I will break Assyria in my land. I will tread him down on my mountain. Then his yoke will be taken from them, and his burden will be removed from their shoulders. This is the plan prepared for the whole earth. And this is the hand stretched out against all the nations. The Lord of armies himself has planned it therefore who can stand in its way it is his hand that is outstretched so who can turn it back let's pray father we thank you for this morning we thank you for entrusting the name of jesus to us that we might utter it together and as we think about your name it's not just a name it's not an incantation or something magical that we can sprinkle over our lives but when we say your name we are describing who you are as you've revealed yourself to be who you are in your essence who you are in your revelation who you are in your redemption who you are and all that you've done and all that you will do lord would you help us to see would you help us to believe would you soften our hearts and open our ears, for we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. We, we can't even listen to a sermon well without you. Would you save us from deadly distractions? Would you save us from um, mind-numbingness? Would you save us from ourselves? Would you come, Holy Spirit, and enlighten and move and open And for some who have never experienced it, would you cause them to be born again? And Father, I now pray that whatever whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So Lord, would you speak to us? lord speak father speak your children are listening have mercy in the name of christ amen you may be seated i'm not going to lie to you and say that this is going to be an easy one uh and by that i don't i don't necessarily mean it's going to be uh like up in your grill type challenging, uh, but it's going to require you to stretch a bit. If you've perused the sermon interaction questions, we are dealing with a subject this morning uh, that is difficult, but it's essential. Uh, The title of the message is The Unchanging Plan of God, uh, but maybe a better descriptor would be The Unchanging Plan of the Unchanging God. The unchanging plan of the unchanging God. The Puritan pastor Stephen Charnock said the will of God is the same with his essence. That as goes the essence of God, so goes the will of God. And if we're going to have an unchanging will, an unchanging purpose, we are going to have an unchanging God. And in theory, right now, you might be signing on and saying, that's fine. What does that have to do with me? You might sound like Jesus there at the wedding to his mother. What does that have to do with me, woman? Hopefully you're not calling me woman. What does that have to do with me, man? Pastor, preacher. What does that have to do with my life? Well, I'm glad you're asking, or at least asking in your head. I hope to show you. Uh, But we must push on this doctrine. We must push the idea of the unchangeableness of the essence of God because it is something that has been under assault within churches, in pulpits, in books for decades. There are very popular preachers and teachers who would argue before you that God is actually uh, in process, that God actually learns and he has not yet discovered who he is. There's a whole system of thought called open theism that would say that God is discovering along with you, that God is learning along with you. There are theologians, a whole theological school called process theologians, that God is somehow in process of becoming. And if you make God in process of becoming, you have made God not holy, not perfect, not righteous, not whole, not satisfied, not God. And in fact, there are these moves and these sound like upper echelon theological and very, very smart theologians. But all it is is a recalibration and a restatement of the human pursuit of making God after our own image. So you could read big, fat theological books that would teach this to you, or you could read skinny, popular books that would say the same thing. And one book uh, is very popular. It's very popular when I was in college. You probably probably might have read it called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. It was about manhood and running around in the wild. And before I knock it, let me first say it was very redemptive for my relationship with my father, okay? You know, some very good things in that book. But there's something posited at the very outset about the nature of God as though God were a risk-taking God. a risk-taking God is a God who does not know what's going to happen and actually does not have any power to affect what is going to happen. And it it is a making of God after our own image. So if you pick up that book, great just read with discernment another very popular teacher is a man named greg boyd and he is an open theist par excellence Uh, scripture tells us that false teachers ought to be named and called out and i've just given you one Uh, don't listen to his sermons and don't read his books they are deadly to your soul and so are any that would tell you that god is in process and that god is changing that god is somehow learning or somehow God doesn't, not only doesn't know what's going to happen, but does not affect what is going to happen. You're thinking, well, that's all well and good. I have no, that has no issue with me, maybe. Uh, what I, I'm arguing, I'm probably going probably gonna to argue that that's not true. The idea that God is unchanging or a, or a theological term is immutable. Uh, maybe some of your Bibles have that. Uh, in I, like somewhere like Hebrews chapter 6 that I'm going to reference in just a little bit uh, but that, that there is an unchangeableness to God that to introduce change into the essence of God is to introduce imperfection as though God were growing into something greater than he was so the first application before we really outline what's happening here the first application of this is to realize that God's not like you This is what we. I read this right, Psalm fifty last week. uh, That and I didn't get to the, the second half of the psalm, but when the psalmist says, "You suppose that I was just like you," he says that to the wicked amongst the congregation. We are always, always, always trying to tear God off of His throne to become like us. We want to humanize God as though God the Son taking on flesh were not enough. So you can listen to a popular song where you have, and it was popular like ten years ago. So, um, but it just sticks in my mind. I didn't have this written down, but there's a very popular worship song or a worship leader praise song, whatever it was, that it had, you talked about God the Father uh, weeping and filling up the throne room of heaven with his tears. And dear ones, you have no such picture in the Bible. When we are brought into the throne room of God, we see the one who is high and lifted up, the holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. We have to be careful that we do not craft God in our own image just to make ourselves feel better. There has to be an element about God that is essentially, and by essentially, I mean at the most technical essence level, different than you. You and I are subject to change. I was reminded of this this weekend. Yesterday was a great day. It was a great day. Uh, it was Saturday, but it was also uh, Evelyn May's first real dance recital. Last year she had a dance recital, but it was like ten people in a little room because of COVID. Uh, but this this year it was like it was at LE. It was in the auditorium. There's all these people where the room is darked out. She's lit up up there in her little blue tutu, and uh, it was just amazing. Uh, absolutely amazing. And I began to think, and you parents, grandparents, you know this, right? I began to think of when, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm going to get weepy. I haven't even gotten into the message yet. I don't remember when she was born. And I remember holding her in the, the days of when she had this huge Billy light, because her Billy Rubin count was too low, and she had to sleep and she had to sleep on Sarah Beth's chest, on the, the couch, and I slept on the love seat, which I'm not a tall man, but I'm too tall to sleep on a love seat. And I learned that that, that month or so. And, but I just remember this little peanut of a little girl and how she's continuing to grow. And we're subject to change. And I look at this picture from yesterday of our now family, right? There's more of us. We've got the boys along too. And I remember that not only has she grown, but I'm, I look older too. My mother-in-law was up for, uh, every time she's up on a Saturday, she says, have I given you enough material? So Melissa, here you go. Um, <laughs> that's not really, but she, she asks me, uh, she, no, she says, because it was, it was stressful, trying to get everything ready and the kids dressed and everything. And she says, um, one day they'll be older. You know, they'll be older. Just as I think she was trying to comfort me. Saying it's not always going to be this perpetual ball of stress of trying to get little kids to act right, dress and get out the house without somebody killing somebody. Um, but then all, what my reply was, is that they're going to make me older at a greater pace than they're going to get older. Um, that we are where people subject to change, our our world is subject to change if you 've lived in Elgin for any many of you grew up here or have deep roots here, many of you have grew up here, went away, came back here, and this is a different place than it was it 's a different place than it was you know six, seven years ago when we moved here it 's a different place than it was ten years, twenty years, thirty years, forty years ago so it 's a completely different landscape of buildings and not topography necessarily, but at least all the, we have, you know, there's the blaze schools not over here. You have food line and all these little strip mall majiggers And, you know, it's just different. Our, our world changes. We change our, we get, you know, we, we lose hair and we grow hair and we, whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to chase that rabbit. You get where we're going, but we're subject to change. And so it's hard for us to grasp if we're simply going to take our own experience it's, it's simply hard for us to grasp that God does not experience change the way that you experience change. That fundamentally, when you think about God, he does not grow older. His hair doesn't fall out and get a pot belly. God does not grow older. If that's you, no, no shots fired, just descriptors. God doesn't grow older. He doesn't learn that that when God's knowledge is already from all of eternity, all encompassing. Consider that for a moment. God's knowledge from all of eternity is already all encompassing. He knows the beginning and he knows the middle and he knows the end. He knows the means that arrive at the end and he has a design in the midst of it. He has a plan in the midst of it. And and at all times, at every point in history, God's people can bank on the fact that the unchanging God has an unchanging plan that is being worked out in my ever-changing existence. The unchanging God has an unchanging plan that is always, without fail, being worked out in my ever-changing existence. The people of Israel experienced this. Isaiah is prophesying around 700 years before uh, the birth of Jesus. And he is prophesying to a people who are about to be just blown up. (laughs) It's not a really good. There weren't bombs like that, you know, but uh, that they were going to be. uh, They're going to be brought into exile. But before they were brought into exile, the, the nation was split. This is before Isaiah. The nation split. Yeah, northern kingdom, southern kingdom, Isaiah is prophesying in the southern kingdom of Judah. And, And before Babylon comes and takes them into captivity, Assyria will come as a great opponent of the people of Israel. They seem as though they are going to swallow them up. Assyria is politically oppressing, militarily oppressing the people of Israel. And that's really the climactic moment in the book of Isaiah is like chapters 35, 36, 37. When Sennacherib and his army, they come to the walls of Jerusalem. Go read your Bible, go read that part. We haven't got that far in our Bible reading, but that's really the the hub that you ought to see as the center of the book of Isaiah. And that it seems like in that moment, if you were living in that moment, it seems like all is lost. You have a superior, you have a superior army, superior generals, superior empire that's come to swallow up the people of Israel. It seems as though everything is lost. But we know the story, right? The Assyrians did not breach the walls. The Assyrians did not conquer Jerusalem. They were beaten by God, right? The people didn't beat them, but God beat them. Go read read it. That doesn't mean that a few years later, Babylon does come. Not a few years, but a while later. Babylon does come. Babylon does take the city. Babylon does tear it down, burn it down, and take the people into exile. And even then... even then eternal God, unchanging God, unchanging purpose, changing circumstances. I hope you're beginning to see, well, hey, maybe there is something applicatory. Maybe maybe there is an application to my life. Because amidst the change that we experience, the change that is inevitable here, The inevitable decay of our bodies towards the grave, unless Jesus calls us home. I mean, unless Jesus comes back, we go home through death. And we begin to experience it. Sarah Beth loves to remind me that I'm in my late 30s, that I'm approaching 40. She loves it way too much. And... And I begin, you know, I have those days where I wake up and I'm like, I didn't I didn't even know that I could feel something in that part of my knee. <laughs> I, did, I never felt anything there before, and it hurts. I have no idea why it hurts, and it doesn't hurt a couple of days later, but I don't know what I did. But then I've got parts in my back that have hurt for years, and I don't know exactly what I did to it, but I know I'm going to be living with it for a while. That, it's a reminder that we are, we are... In our change that we are not progressing, we are actually regressing, physically speaking. But even in our physical regression, there is a spiritual progression and there is a eternal, if you will, perspective progression of the plan of God. That every day marches us closer to the day of the Lord. Every day marches us closer to the day of the Lord, whether that day be the day of my death or not, it marches us closer to the day of the Lord. Every day you march closer to the grave, every day you march closer to the day of the Lord. And it is God who upholds the universe. And so in promising the people of Judah deliverance from the Assyrians, he says the Lord of armies has sworn Your Bible probably says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, Lord of angel, heavenly armies has sworn. Remember that language is going to show up in Hebrews chapter six in just a minute. As I have purposed, so it will be. As I have planned it, so it will happen. There is such a definiteness to the plan of God. He's purposed it. It's going to happen. I've planned it. It's going to happen. Can anyone stand against the plan of God? No, is the answer. It's not in jeopardy. You look at the end of the book. Go read the last two chapters of the book and say to yourself and say to the Lord, because you are the unchanging God with your unchanging purpose, this will be. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be a new Jerusalem descending from the sky. There will be no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more sin, no more death. It will happen because the Lord of hosts has purposed it. Not because you have the power, right? We are people subject to change and subject to random back pain. We're not going to do it, but the Lord of hosts will. So I have purposed and it will be. That needs to be like, put it up in your house, put it on the wall, put it, and Sarah Beth won't let me do this, but just imagine it then. Put it up on the wall, put a big coat hook on it and say, I'm hanging my life on it. It will be. What I see today is not more real than it will be. My experience in this ever-changing existence is not more substantial. It is not a greater reality than the eternal plan of the eternal God. And that means, whether you wake up tomorrow feeling like a million bucks, or you wake up tomorrow feeling like you're a million dollars in the red, everything hurts, you're grumpy, you didn't get enough sleep, it will be Dear one, you, our existence, our change, like this, right? Not even day in and day out. It seems like moment by moment. Moment by moment. Hey, wake up. You know, you want to sing the, what is that, Louis Armstrong? I see you green. In the, you know, it's like so great. It's wonderful. And then, like 15 minutes later, you know, you, you make the dumb mistake of reading your email and you're like, this day's off to a, you know, you, all of a sudden you're just derailed. Or whatever it is. Maybe you watch the news for 15 seconds and you're saying this world is going to fall apart. And it will. First Peter tells, second Peter tells us that it's going to be baptized by fire. But that fire will not be a consuming ending fire. It will be a redemptive fire that brings about new heavens, a new earth, a restoration, a new creation. As God has planned it, as God has purposed it, so it will be. And what I want you to see, that if you take this unchanging God, unchanging plan, unchanging purpose, and it fleshes out in human existence in the midst of changing circumstances, but every moment, every moment is connected to this unchanging purpose of God for his people. That God purposes to rescue and to save and to sanctify his people. So for the people of Israel here, it meant that the unchanging plan of God shows up in their ever-changing existence by promising them that Assyria would not kick them in the teeth, but he would in fact kick them in the teeth. I will break Assyria in my land. I will tread him down on my mountain. Then his yoke will be taken from them and his burden will be removed from their shoulders. There's no way, humanly speaking, that the perspective of Israel or the perspective of Jerusalem that this ought to come to be. But God has planned it because he's planned to rescue his people. What I want you to see is that in the midst of the turmoil... Because sometimes your life is like you've been plopped down into a north a Sahara desert sandstorm and you can't see. Things are swirling around you. You're grieving, you've lost, you've lost your job, your body's falling apart, the world is falling apart, and you're sw- everything's swirling around you, and you can't see. You have no vision of where you're going, you just keep going. Dear ones, what I want you to see is that this was such a moment for the people of Israel. And if we if they experience such a moment and God's plan is working in it, when we experience such a moments of the sandstorms that blind our eyes and we can't see the way to go, we can have full assurance that just like God was acting in the midst of their situation, God is acting for his eternal purpose in the midst of yours today. This relates to the Apostle Paul when he utters that wonderful promise that we hang our hats on. That God works all things for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purpose, right? Romans 8, 28. That it connects to his, to his eternal purpose, that he's working these things out. That means that your worst day, that God is moving you. where God is doing something in you. where God is preparing you. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul says that for this momentary light, affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. Second Corinthians 417, that God is doing something now. And either you can sit there, plop on your rear end like Jonah under the castor oil plant and whine and complain, or you can say it will be. God is going to work out my good. In this and through this, it might claim everything you have. It might bring you immense pain and loss. But that does not negate the unchanging plan of God for you. And scripture says that God is for you. Who could be against him? You. If God is for us, who could be against us? But too often we take those promises and we take the eternal perspective of God and we place it within our temporary, temporal perspective and we say, if God is for me, he's going to do these things for me today. He's going to make my back quit hurting. He's going to fill up my bank account. He's going to make all my relationships run like gravy. It's going to be great. Everything's going to be great. Well, I hope by now you've been disavowed of that naivety. That is a naive doctrine. The unchanging plan of God often walks us through pain. And you're thinking, why on earth would God do that? Well, before you ask an accusatory question, perhaps you should look at his son. That the eternal plan of God not only brings us through the brokenness and the barrenness and the sandstorms of life, but it brought Jesus The perfect, sinless, innocent, only, may I add, innocent man, and brought upon him a cross. It was not by happenstance, it was not by accident. Acts chapter 2 says it was according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that Jesus was crucified and died, it was on purpose. And if that's what God does in love for his people and for his glory through his son. Dear ones, when Jesus says the servant is not greater than the master, they hated me. They're going to hate you. We should take it to heart. But when we take it to heart, we have to know that heaven will be sweeter because of it. The new heavens and the new earth will be ever more enjoyable because of it. And not only will we have a future hope, but we have a present reality that God is working today. There is an eternal plan. To Monday might be the most mundane day of your life. You wake up and you do your normal routine and nothing moves, nothing moves the Richter scale. You don't have any great enlightenments. You don't have any great down, nothing great up, nothing great down. You don't have any, there's, it's just a normal boring day. And what you can bank on is the promise that the Lord has purposed and it will be and your regular mundane Monday has treaded you closer to the eternal plan of God for you. It's not just the fantastic days that move us in that direction, but it's the mundane ones too. And so we begin to see that the unchangeable plan of God is unchanging God. He gives purpose and fuel for the highs and the lows and the regular days too. That he's working in the midst of it. The Lord of armies, verse 27, the Lord of armies himself has planned it. Again, there's like a this is bookends. Chiasm would be a literary. Anyways, these are bookends. The Lord of armies himself has planned it. Therefore, who can stand in its way? It is his hand that is that it, it is his hand that is outstretched, so who can turn it back? you know once too many of us live under the tyranny, believing that somehow we're going to just. Completely mess it up. Somehow we're going to derail God's eternity when all you have to do is trust him. Trust him and follow him. We also need to be disavowed from the false narrative that our adversary Satan has the power to, dis, to derail the eternal plan of God. We, we just need to be, we need to take that out of our mind. He's a big deal, but he ain't that big. Do you hear me? Satan is a big deal, but he ain't that big. He's a bad dude. He's a strong dude. But you know who's stronger? The one who made the heavens and the earth. The one who spoke and Satan came to be. The one whose counsel Satan had to get, whose affirmation Satan had to get before he went after Job. Don't give him more cred than he deserves. Applications, right? Worship. God is not like us. If God is like us, we will not worship him for his own sake, but we will worship him for our own. We'll worship him thinking that we can somehow manipulate him to do what we want him to do or be like we want him to be. First Samuel 15, 29 says the eternal one of Israel does not lie or change his mind for he is not a man who changes his mind. We can trust him. Malachi 3, 6. I do not change. Therefore, you have not been consumed that the promise of God for his people will not change because the Lord does not change. We have victory. Isaiah 43:13. Also, this is the Lord speaking from today on, I am he alone, and none can rescue from my power. I act, and who can reverse it? He wins the victory, and his whole will will be done. Isaiah forty six ten, I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago, what is not yet done saying my plan will take place and I will do all my will. At some point, I'll, I'll preach a message describing there's a distinction to be made in scripture between God's secret will of decree, which is what he's talking about there and God's prescriptive will. Deuteronomy twenty nine, twenty nine. the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and our children. And that's, we don't have time to delve into that. But fundamentally, God says, I will do all my will. I will do all my will. I have decl- I declared the end from the beginning. Not just in the sense that he, pers- he says, oh, I see what's going to happen. But that's not what's happening here. This is not bare foreknowledge where God just simply knows the future. I declare the end from the beginning and from long ago what is not yet done saying my plan will take place. That as he knows the future, he is saying this is going to happen towards the end. Not only does he decree the end of the new heavens and the new earth, but he decrees the means to get there. And the means to get there includes our rocky, sandstormy existence. And it includes the cross and Christ and his empty tomb. Finally, finally, because God is unchanging with an unchanging plan, we can persevere. Very quickly, Hebrews chapter six, uh, verses beginning of verse thirteen. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. He said, "I will indeed bless you, and I will greatly multiply you." And so, after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. But because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose, even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a forerunner. Two unchangeable things secure our future because God has promised and God has sworn. The two unchangeable things here are God, his purpose, and his plan, and his oath that he has swore. Saying, I myself, I will surely do this, Abraham. And the writer of Hebrews is taking that promise to Abraham, and he's applying it to all of God's faithful people. And he's applying it in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, to the church. Not the building, but the people. That we can lay hold, seize the hope set before us. Because the same hope of Abraham, it hasn't changed. The anchor hasn't moved from Abraham onwards. The anchor of Abraham and Samuel has not moved. The anchor of David and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Hezekiah, it has not moved. Because God has not changed, Seize the hope of Christ today. He has entered into the very presence of God that right now, if you are in Jesus, you have an anchor in the heavenly tabernacle landed for you. And your faith by grace is the chain that links you to that anchor. And every day the Lord is pulling you one notch closer that you might enter into glory with him. Two unchangeable things. We can persevere to the end because the promise of God and therefore the hope of His people will not fail. Will not fail. Whatever you go through, whatever your past tells you, whatever your present is shouting to you, and whatever your future holds, the promise of God holds firm for everyone who believes in Him. If you refuse to believe in him, if you refuse to seize the hope set before you in Jesus, that in Christ you have the means of forgiveness of your sins, in Jesus you have the one who has shed his blood in your place and who has risen victoriously from the grave so that death no longer looms as a shadow over your life, but it is now made into a doorway to transport you into glory, that can be your hope only in Jesus Christ. So would you trust him? Would you yield your life to him and quit seeking to save yourself? Quit saying, I can figure it out. I can plan my way. I can see through the storm. You can't. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not strong enough. And if you don't know it today, you're going to know it in the future. As change happens to you, but not to God. But the invitation today is to come and to take your stand and to cling to the rock that never changes, who never fails. And therefore, we have an eternal hope, dear ones, that we can persevere and hold on no matter what happens in this world. Crazy though it may be today, God is on the throne. Be encouraged and come to Christ while you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for... Your mercy. and for your word, would you come and help us to trust. Would you help us trust you, the unchangeable God, with your unchanging promise and purpose? That you will see us home. Give us grace today to continually entrust our lives to you, to continually lay our lives in your hands believing that you will preserve us, that you will hold us fast. Where there are any who are flagging and failing in faith, would you encourage them? Where there might be some who have never trusted you, Lord, would you give them grace to come and trust you, to confess Christ as Lord, and to be forever changed, and to have a forever hope, We thank you, Lord. We love you because you have first loved us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.